Hello and welcome. This is Little Things with Amber L. B. Swenson. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going to be talking about revenge. By the time we're done with this episode, I hope that we all can come to a place of trusting God more. I'm going to share some scripture with you, of course. I'm going to give you some quotes, as always. But mostly, I want to convince you that you can trust God, that God absolutely sees what you're going through. He knows what you're going through, and we all have to let him handle it in his time and his way. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I have been writing and teaching Bible studies for the past 15 years. I've worked with women, youth, Sunday school. I've been blogging for Time of Grace since 2017. I've written two books for them. Really what you need to know is that I love the Lord, and I love the Word of God, and I find that the deeper I go into the Word of God, the more astounded I am that He loves us and that He notices us and that He cares so deeply about our lives. And my role is really to get people into the Word and to show them how awesome it is and to really get them to a place that they want to know and love God more. That's kind of my mission in life in a nutshell. The other day I was reading in Genesis and I came across this one passage that made me sort of stop in my tracks. And that's how this whole topic came up. Genesis 15, 16 says to Abraham, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, so to the land of Canaan, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God was giving Abraham just a little look at what his descendants would be and do. And at this time, of course, Abraham had no children, and he he had asked God, you know, you've promised me these things, but I I don't have an heir. And God said, look, Abraham, this is what's going to happen. Your descendants are going to be enslaved. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. And then I'm going to bring them back to this land. And don't worry, they will possess it. But I know that they are heathen people who are here right now. And their time is coming. But it has not yet reached its full measure. And when the Israelites come back to take possession of the land, when your descendants come to take possession of the land, that's when I will inflict on these people the punishment that I have decided upon, and I will give this land to your descendants. That's hard for us to understand um, God's sense of timing and his sense of judgment, especially when we're not seeing things happening right away. So I'm going to direct you to the book of Habakkuk. It's a such underused book of the Bible. I'm absolutely convinced that I have to do a study on this because I've spent a little time in it this morning, and I just think it is so worthy of our study. The book of Habakkuk begins with a complaint, which I think we can all relate to. Habakkuk says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. 
the wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Hello, have you watched the news lately? (laughs) Who couldn't say this? God, do you see what's going on? Do you have any idea what's happening? And where is justice? Who is dealing with all the people who are mistreating people? Well, you know what God says in response to Habakkuk? He says this, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. God is saying, Habakkuk, you have no idea. I'm already on this. I've got everything in place. Just let me do my work. If we were to read on, we would know that Habakkuk goes, what, wait? That's justice? You're going to send these crazy barbarians in to inflict justice? The People's Bible explained it really neat. They said, you know, for people, Judah had become a land that really didn't care about laws. It was lawlessness. The people did what was right in their own eyes. And God used a people of lawlessness, the Babylonians, to chastise God's people. God's people were saying, look, we don't want laws. And God said, fine, I will send a a people to destroy you who don't want anything to do with laws either. Perfect. If we were to go in another Old Testament book of the Bible, the book of Esther, we would really get a sense that God knows and sees and works things out in his time and in his way. So we are introduced to Esther and Mordecai at the beginning of the book. And Mordecai is a scribe for King Xerxes who does the right thing. Okay, he uncovers a plot to kill the king and he goes to the king and the king's life is saved. And you know what he gets for it? Nothing. Nothing. He's not promoted. He's not given a new house. I mean, we're talking about the king and nothing's done. Okay, where's the justice in that? Nah, there isn't any. But that's okay. You know, we don't do good things to be given a pat on the back, right? So Mordecai doesn't seem troubled at all about it. He just goes about his own business. But in the meantime, the king does raise somebody up. This somebody is this evil, cunning, cruel person, Haman, who really is out for his own good and his own good only. He hates Mordecai because Mordecai refuses to bow down to him. Mordecai goes, look, I only bow to one person and it's God. You're not God. So, you know, not my deal. So Haman hates Mordecai so much so that he convinces King Xerxes, that the land would be better off if all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, were exterminated. And for whatever reason, God only knows that Xerxes thought this was an okay thing to do. Xerxes says, do whatever you want to do, not my deal, go for it. So the edict is put in place that the Jews are going to be destroyed. God had already been working on it. How do we know? 
God had already put Esther in place. Esther, a Jew, was Xerxes' wife. She was in a position of influence. God was going to use her to change the king's mind. And spoiler alert, by the end of the book of Esther, Mordecai is raised up to that same position that Haman wanted. And here's the clincher. One night, the king couldn't sleep. And when he couldn't sleep, he asked to have the history of his reign read to him. And he, he was reminded that Mordecai had saved his life. So the next morning when Haman came in, feeling all great, because guess what Haman had done the, the day before? Haman had built a gallows where he planned to hang Mordecai. Not really hang, they more like impaled back then, but that's a different story. So Haman comes in all happy because he's thinking he is going to ask the king to have Mordecai put on his gallows. And when he comes in, that's the exact time that Xerxes says, hey, you know, there's somebody I want to honor. What? How would I go about doing that? And Haman, thinking he must be talking about him, says, well, you know, put this guy on a horse, put a robe on him that you have worn so everybody knows that your approval is with him and have him paraded through the streets with someone shouting, this is what the king does for the man he wants to honor. And Xerxes says, great, sounds good. Hey, why don't you go to do that for Mordecai? Because I want to honor him. He saved my life. So not only did Haman not get permission to kill Mordecai, But he's parading him through the streets, giving him honor. How is that for God's sense of revenge and justice? Do you think when we read that, we can trust God? In the New Testament, there was a man called Stephen. He was a believer in Christ. He was a man full of the Spirit. And he ended up in trouble with the the Jewish leaders because he was telling people that Jesus was the Christ. So they brought them, they brought Stephen before them, and he was honest and open and said, hey, listen, guys, you guys crucified the Messiah. This is the Christ, and you did this. And so the Jewish leaders decided they were going to get rid of this guy, and they stoned him to death. And guess who was watching? This man named Saul. Saul was a diligent Pharisee and big into this whole persecute the Christians, get rid of them, eradicate them from the earth, so much so that he went on a trip to do that very thing in Damascus. And in God's wonderful sense of timing and in irony, God stops him in his track and turns him into a Christian. And not just any Christian, but Saul this persecutor of Christians who was out to destroy them becomes the Apostle Paul who would suffer much for Christ. That same Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
The Apostle Paul says, look, guys, I get it. A lot of times, all we're going to see is injustice. All we're going to see is all the people who are mistreating us, and it's going to seem like nothing's being done. We need to trust. What can we trust? We can trust God's omniscience. God sees it. We know that from Scripture. Nothing gets past God. In fact, not only does he see the incident, he sees the motive. He sees what's in the other person's heart. He gets it even more than we do. We can trust his omniscience. We can trust his character. Is God a loving God? Absolutely. Think of your own children if you have children. If you don't have children, think of a friend. When you've seen that friend or that child mistreated, how does it make you feel? You hurt with a person, right? You want to make things right. God is our loving Father. When he sees his children hurting, you better believe that does something to him. As Stephen was being stoned, God opened up heaven so that Jesus could receive him. Yes, Stephen didn't make it out of the situation alive, but you know what? He saw exactly where he was going. He wasn't going through it alone. God was right there with him going, okay, here you go, Stephen. Come on home. He sees us too. So he sees we we can trust his omniscience. We can trust his character. And guess what else we can trust? We can trust his sense of justice. God says he'll make it right. And, And with that, we have to be reminded of one thing. One little tiny thing. God doesn't make us pay for our sins. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. A lot of times we get all worked up because someone's getting away with something. Someone's mistreated us. It's not fair. Nobody's done anything about it. Guess what? We've mistreated a lot of people too. Just think about it. There are people that we have not treated as we ought. We have not given the respect we ought to give. We have not given the due, the love. We have not treated them as God would have us treat them. And a lot of times we get away with it. So we don't have to worry so much about making sure that everybody pays for what they've done. God's got it. If payment is needed, he'll make sure that it is is made. And if not... You know what? He's going to use it as a situation in our life for good. We are going to learn from the situation, and that's where we need to keep it. When we get to the other side of the situation, even if we see nothing else come from it, we can know that God brought us through that, and we can use whatever lessons that we walk away with to further his kingdom and for his glory. Here's a couple quotes for you. First of all, Francis Bacon said, A man that studies revenge keeps his own wounds green. Boy, is that not true. If you keep thinking about how the other person is getting away with things, you just keep reliving the situation. And that is not the way to heal. If you just keep walking through it over and over and over, you're just going to keep hurting. And don't you want to get past the hurt? 
great, then forget about revenge. Like the Apostle Paul said, listen, guys, do not do this, dear friends. Just leave room for God's wrath. He's, he's better at this than you are. Look at Haman. Remember that? Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. Again, we don't see people getting what we think is due. And we say, oh, man, they really got away with a lot. Nobody gets away with a lot. It comes back around. Don't worry about it. Don't let hatred color your world so that you're blind to the love and the workings of God. Hatred and bitterness can do that. They can really color your world so that your attitude is not very happy, that you are a bitter, sour person who, you know, me oh my, nothing goes as I as it should. When do I ever get the the better things. I'm always in a bad situation. You don't want that. Let's not live like that. Let's live as children of God who rejoice in God's strength. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But one more quote. Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor of Rome, in fact, from 161 to 180, he was the last emperor of the period of time known as the Pax Romana, the stability and peace of the Roman Empire. Uh, said this, the best revenge is to be unlike him who performed the injury. Amen, brother. Amen. Go on. Walk with the Lord. Don't be like that other person. If you learn anything from walking through a situation where you are mistreated, learn to not be like the people who are mistreating you. Learn to be so much better. Look at Jesus. They put him on a cross, and what did he say? Forgive them. Go above it. Don't become like the person who mistreated you. Don't ever become like the person who mistreated you. But go on and keep working in God's kingdom for God's glory in the strength that he provides. And that word strength, let me get back to the book of Habakkuk. Because chapter 3, which is the last chapter of the book, brings us to this beautiful place of worship. It's very likely that the Babylonians are already invading Israel, and Habakkuk is seeing it, and this is what he writes. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to the nation to come that is invading us. So in other words, they're invading, and you know what? Habakkuk knows their time will come, and he will wait patiently for it. But then he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. In other words, God's going to be my strength. And I can see that he's here even in this desolation. I know he sees. I know he knows. 
I know he's got the situation under control. Oh man, Lord, help us to live that way. This has been little things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. If you like this message, please share it with your friends and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to support Time of Grace with your prayers and your financial contributions so we can share this message and others like it with many more people.